So what's Psalm 11 have to do with Christmas? Stick with me. I promise I'll get to it. You might be wondering, why wasn't it Luke 2? Why wasn't it uh, the, the traditional, familiar Christmas story as we enter into the Christmas season? And this morning, we're one week away from the official Advent, which begins next Sunday, but Christmas is coming. For some, it started back in October, all the songs and the radio and, and people set up decorations. I always prefer to begin after Thanksgiving, but it's coming and we've heard Psalm 11 and I promise you I'll get back to it. Today is an introduction to Advent, which is coming be talking about our incredible faith. Or should I say credible? Which is it? Our faith is both. Our faith is both. In one sense of this word, incredible, the sense that means amazing and extraordinary, that is our faith. That's our Jesus. That's the one we were singing about, the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. He's incredible, absolutely amazing. But our faith is also credible. If we think of the other side of the word incredible, which just means not credible, not believable, our faith is credible, and it's very believable. It's not irrational. Our faith is not blind faith. Rather, it is completely rational, and it's believable, and it can stand up to the tests of historicity, and uh, we're going to get into all of that as we consider Christmas. Christmas, Jesus coming here, God coming to earth as a man. Here we are again at the beginning of the season, Advent, and we are to focus on the birth of Jesus. And when uh, we talk about the birth of Jesus, us Christians, when we talk about Jesus coming to earth, it was no ordinary birth. No ordinary birth to us Christians. What does Christianity assert? It asserts that a person called Jesus of Nazareth was born at the outset of the first century, 2,000 years ago, he was birthed by a woman who was a virgin. She had never been with a man. There were no pregnancy technologies back then. There was no way for uh, this woman to become pregnant except the natural way, or at least every other woman at the time. That's, what, that's the way it works. We all know that a man and a woman uh, produce a child. But Christianity at its very core, at its foundation, says something different. It proposes something entirely different, that a, a virgin woman was found to be pregnant. And how can that be? What is the explanation? Well, there's another assertion in our Christian faith, and that assertion is that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who produced that pregnancy the christian texts the text that we call the new testament 
which contain a section called the Gospels, they record exactly that for us. We read the Gospel of Matthew, for example. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That's gospel number one. That's the first chapter. It's telling us these things. Moreover, regarding this unprecedented, unparalleled pregnancy of a virgin, Christianity claims that this event was actually predicted. It was predicted not just a few years prior or a few minutes prior or anything like that. It was hundreds of years before it even happened. 750 years, for example, from this prognosticator who was called Isaiah, and he is in the section of the Christian holy book called the Old Testament. Isaiah the prophet said this, Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That means God's with us. And that's, again, from Christian holy book. That is, that's the foundation of the faith. It's confirmed again in the New Testament, that same gospel that we touched on just a minute ago, the gospel of Matthew Uh, The first chapter again, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Again, pointing back to Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this gospel in the New Testament said, hey, look back. This guy predicted it. I'm confirming it. It's happened. And this is the extraordinary nature of the birth of Jesus. And it's not only the claim that his mother was a virgin in this this amazing event, and that she had become pregnant by this divine act of God. There's more to it. There is more to it if we continue to look at the accounts of the birth of Jesus given in the New Testament. We find There are remarkable claims surrounding this event, the birth of Jesus. His mother, called Mary, was visited by angels. An angel told her, what's happening to you? This is holy. It's by the the hand of God. It's by the Holy Spirit. Mary accepted what she had heard. And what did she do? She rejoiced because she was chosen for this very task. Her fiancé, which Matthew mentioned, his name's Joseph. He, too, is said to have been visited by an angel in a dream to inform him. Hey, your fiancé, she is carrying a child, but don't get upset. This is by the hand of God. This is God's doing. And when that child is born, he's going to be called Messiah, Christ the Lord. God coming to earth as a man, it's reiterated uh, through the whole Testament that uh, angels appeared to shepherds in a field. Not just one angel, but a whole host of them appeared again announcing the coming of Jesus. He's been born, and they 
said, you'll find this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is the Messiah. Further into the New Testament, we read uh, the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is God becoming like us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father and is full of grace and truth. That's the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Further into the New Testament, the the apostle named Paul, he wrote something we heard earlier when Cameron was up here and he quoted Galatians 4.4. That's a beautiful line. When the set time had come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Boom, reiterated again. This was a, a miraculous birth. And, and Paul also write, wrote, Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, made himself nothing by himself taking the nature of a servant, becoming in human likeness. This is divine God becoming man. We have a, a word for all of this. We have a word, and the word is incarnation. Incarnation, that the spirit took on the form of flesh. That, that the spirit took on the carnal form, the fleshly form, a bodily form. This is the incarnation. So this coming of Jesus that we celebrate year after year on a day called Christmas, it's full. It's full of the, the, the inconceivable, this whole narrative of Jesus, the whole narrative of the nativity. It's full of the unparalleled, the unprecedented, the incredible. A virgin becoming pregnant without any man. That's incredible, a a divine act of God. It's incredible. Angel coming to her, uh, angels appearing to others. This is incredible. A whole host of angels in, in, uh, in the sky rejoicing. Incredible. The whole account, this whole incarnation... It's incredible, and yet it's foundational to our faith. And that foundation, that foundation's being challenged. It's, it's being chipped away at. For some that uh, call themselves Christian, uh, that foundation is totally eroded. Because they've, they've taken the word of God and made it, made it what they want it to be. And we know that's happened in certain branches of Christianity, we are in a society that keeps pushing that, pushing that. We're in a society that, well, it, it, it accepts things like abortion on demand, a society that has redefined very basic terms like marriage and family and man and woman, totally redefined. And those redefinitions, they're, to me, they're an effect of the crumbling foundation of Christianity in and, and certain places because Christianity lays out marriage and family and man and woman. It's very clear. 
Christianity teaches marriage is between a man and a woman. And a family is formed uh, when a man and a woman come together. And then they have children, boys and girls. They're raised to be men and women. And those things that were once generally accepted and practiced, now in our culture, it seems like that's been almost totally abandoned on, a, on just, a, just a gigantic scale. Over the past 20 years in the United States, how has that played out just in Christianity? The number of people that would say, I am Christian, over the past 20, 20 years, it's dwindled. Used to be 80%. 80% of those in the U.S. adults, they'd say, I'm a Christian. I, I realize that can mean a whole big thing. But that has dwindled to less than 60% in 2023. And the projection is less than 50% very, very soon. And that's from the, the Pew Research Center. And they do a great job at collecting data and really looking at these things. What's the cause of this decline? What is the cause of this drop, this precipitous drop, the Pew study, they don't even want to touch it. They just collect the data and, and they really aren't focusing on the theories about root causes. They have a simple line, it's complex. But I got a root cause. I'll share a root cause with you. The foundation of Christianity, it's just too incredible for many. Virgin birth, seriously? God becoming man? Shouldn't that just be allegory? It's kind of a myth. Angels and dreams, angels in the sky. You'll read mocking people who say, you got your, your sky daddy, etc. Centuries old prophets. It's, it's all too incredible. And it's not incredible in the amazing sort of the word or the amazing sense. No, it's just, in, it's incredible in the sense of the word that's the primary meaning. Not credible. Not believable improbable way too improbable to be believed so to many the the virgin birth angels all of it can't be believed it's not credible centuries old prophets well that's just why are you even looking into that it's nonsense and that's just a small part of our faith it really is it's just really a small portion of the foundation of our faith you know let's not get into the actual life of Jesus and all that he did, miracles, raising people from the dead, all the things we sung about this morning, waymaker, miracle worker, the preposterous assertion that he rose from the dead. Wait, now, now we've gone beyond the pale. It's just way too incredible. Can't be believed. You know what we need? We need a Christianity that's credible. We need a Christianity that's believable. And I'll, I'll say to you, our faith is credible. Our faith is believable. It's rational. And before I get to speaking to how our faith is rational and believable, let's consider a little bit about what's chipping away at the foundation, even hammering at it. What's hammering at it? Many, many who, many who want to discredit and shame the word of God. Many who say it's just, it's myth, it's, it's a dusty old ancient book that's meaningless, it's superstitious, Jesus is a myth, 
That incarnation thing you're talking about, it's fantasy, it's totally fiction, angels, prophets, that the whole religion, it's a formulation of weak-minded people who can't live in the real world and they need to rely on the superstitious and the make-believe just to get by. I'll give you an example. There's a, a guy named Jerry Coyne. He's a Ph.D. biologist. He's a professor emeritus at the University of Chicago. Very well-known uh, evolutionist. Uh, he's a proponent of this thing called new atheism. New atheism, it, pro it promotes a sort of evangelism, if you will, uh, an evangelism to counter religion because religious beliefs are irrational, they're superstitious, they need to be countered. New Atheism says those things need to be countered and challenged by rationalism, by rational thought. And Coyne has written books and articles, he's been a speaker about this thing called New Atheism. And he seems like a very likable guy, actually. Um, I don't find him to be mean-spirited or anything. He doesn't seem condescending or angry or mean. Uh, seems pretty nice in the way that he talks and such. But he knows this. He knows your religion. He knows your faith, his words. Uh, it has you immunized to the real truth about the cosmos. He knows that mainly, mainly, mainly because you're acting irrationally. You're just not thinking clearly. And he, he was posed a question, uh, if you only had a minute, and he can, he can really expound on lots of things in biology, and, and he's a smart guy. I, 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 I'm not putting him down or saying he isn't. But he was asked, if you had a minute to convince someone in whatever branch of religion they were, but if you could convince them to just get out of that stuff, how would you do it? And he said what he would do is he would line up uh, all the skulls, the, the hominin skulls from the earliest to the present, and you would see clearly evolution. You would drop any notion you got about creation because there it would be, boom, man, a fact right in front of you. And you'd see that religion is irrational, and especially Christianity because it teaches creation, and uh, its claims are completely incredible. They can't be believed. And this thing, this new atheism, it's been convincing. It has been. In each new generation, and, and again, this is from the Pew Research Center, 31% who are raised Christian before they're 30, they walk away. 31%. And what can we do? What, what do we do about that? Well, we can show them that Christianity is credible. It's believable. The, the Christmas narrative, it's believable. It's rational. It's not blind faith believable. Christianity conforms to rational thought. So I came across a book. I came across a book. It was called Credible Christianity. I thought, oh, I should check this book out. It was by a guy named uh, William Kania. And, uh, and I might be mispronouncing his name, but that's the way I'm going to say it, Kania. Uh, he's a Ph.D. guy, and his book, is, he said, is the product of years of diligent work, research, study, scholarship, the latest and the best scholarship available today. And this is what he wrote. 
What people are led to believe about the Christian religion is often misleading, unbelievable, inconsistent with reality, incredible and contradictory to modern historical and biblical research. I was wondering where he was going to go. I kept reading. He went on to propose that for Christianity to be taken seriously, we need, we must have a credible Christianity. And he said, the Christian faith is about Jesus. I agree. And who is the real Jesus? He laid it out. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, the real Jesus did not die for your sins. That's a preposterous notion. If Jesus did die for your sins, you've got a sadistic God. Then he presented a 20-point list and he wrote, you're naive. You're naive if you believe this about Jesus. If you believe any of this, you're naive if you believe Jesus of Nazareth lived 2,000 years ago, that his mother conceived him when she was a virgin, that she was impregnated by God, that Jesus came to earth to save mankind, that everyone's a sinner and lost until they acknowledge Jesus, that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness and redemption, that Jesus is the only son of God. His list went on, it was 20 points. But what he, what he summed up, this author, he summed up that a credible Christianity is one that's open to all. It's absolutely inclusive. It honors and it accepts and it incorporates truth from all realms of life. I don't even know what that means. And it's grounded in love. The conclusion is this. Your concept of Christianity, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. And if you can't accept that, if you can't accept that your concept of Christianity, the idea that this Jesus uh, who was born of a virgin, etc., if you can't accept that, then you are anti-scientific, you're anti-intellectual, you're closed-minded, you're against evidence, education, reason, and logic. In essence, this PhD guy who wants to tell you you need credible Christianity, and he's got all these letters after his name, he's smarter than you. He is smarter than you. And I could say a few names, but I won't, that he believes that you are. Because he's so smart, you know. He, he knows that Christianity can only be credible if we just kind of get rid of all this stuff that uh, sometimes it's hard to take in. It needs to be completely taken apart. It's foundations discarded, and then it needs to be reconstructed by a smart guy like him and put together from his point of view, because after 2,000 years, he has finally figured it out. You, however, haven't. And I am so glad that Amazon gave me the opportunity to read two chapters of that book, and I never bought it. And I don't recommend it, you know, just because it says, you credible Christianity, baloney. And it's unfortunate that works like this, uh, Kania's Credible Christianity, it resonates with many people. They begin to question, yeah, that's fantasy. Oh, that's a myth. There really isn't any evidence. It, it's so incredible, it can't be believed. And I'm telling you, Christianity is absolutely incredible and credible. It's, it's totally amazing and yet believable. Your faith is based, it's based on an amazing book, an amazing book. Though Kania writes, he, he writes, the events that are recorded in the Gospels did not happen. 
There are no known historical documents of any sort that provide us with information about Jesus. Really? This guy is comically wrong, hysterically wrong. The New Testament itself, the New Testament itself is an accurate historical record. This man, he'd be laughed out of academia if he were to dispute the authenticity of uh, the writings of people like Flavius Josephus, uh, Tacitus. uh, Yeah, those two. uh, These were all ancient history historians. Thucydides, yeah, Tacitus. And what, what do we have of these historians? What do we have that exists? We have these like scant manuscripts. They're, they're hundreds of years past the original. The original guy, Josephus, the original guy, Tacitus, Thucydides, others. What we have post-dates those people by hundreds of years, even thousands, 1,300 years. We have, we have certain writings that are 1,300 years from the original, and we just have a few, just a few. Yet these people, Josephus, Tacitus, Thucydides, others, they are quoted as accurate historians. Their writings are not questioned as inaccurate. Why? Because, well... We have, we have their writings, even though, well, we have just a few of their, their writings in existence. Well, we won't question it. We still have some. We won't question it because the existing copies are hundreds and maybe even thousands of years after the original. No, they won't be questioned. We're content with their accuracy. You know, the existing evidence of the New Testament far, far outweighs all of that. It outweighs all these secular historians. They have a handful of manuscripts for most ancient documents. And what do we have for the New Testament? Thousands, thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, most of them are fragments, but there are many complete New Testaments in existence from ancient times five to ten times more complete New Testaments than the existing works of some of these uh, secular historians. And the copies of the New Testament are so much closer to their original dates of writing. We have some manuscripts from Matthew and and John that are 30 to 50 years from the original. I mean, that's like right there. Those copies are, uh, those are solid copies. They are, you know, they didn't have time to have myths introduced and all of this that people point to your Bible and say it's, it's, it's fantasy, that it's myth and it's made up. Nothing compares to the New Testament, nothing at all. When it comes to the number of copies in existence, boom, we blow it away, blow it away. When, when it comes to how close these, these copies that we have are to the original again, man, they can't hold a candle to it. And what does that mean? It means our New Testament is a faithful copy of the original writings. And you know, some complain, well, you know, you're just using your Bible to prove the Bible because that's all you got. Baloney, that's not true. There are tons of individuals from the second century, the third century, the fourth century and on, and they quote 
from that New Testament. They picked it up. They didn't say it was made up or phony. They wrote commentaries. They wrote about this, this thing called the New Testament. And there are the secular historians, like the ones I mentioned, who wrote about Jesus. Josephus, he wrote about Jesus being crucified by the hand of the Roman governor Pilate, named him, named Jesus, named Pilate, said he was crucified. And Josephus wrote this, this group of followers of Jesus. They saw him after three days. So what's he writing? There was a resurrection. And he went on to write, these people have come to be called Christians. That's from outside the Bible. It's extra biblical. And other historians have touched on Jesus. Uh, this Jerry Coyne, who I had mentioned earlier from uh, the University of Chicago, he wrote, the historical evidence for Jesus is limited to what's in the Bible. He's wrong. He's just wrong. And it's not really difficult to check that out. See, the coming of Jesus, the coming of Jesus and, and what is accurately and, and, and reliably recorded in the Gospels is credible. It's credible because we have all of this evidence of eyewitnesses and it's rich and it's backed up by a reality that we can accept and is completely rational. It's just, this, this wasn't a group of conspiratorial uh, uh, Jewish people who were fed up with Judaism who got together and said, hey, let's create a new religion. Yeah, let's, 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 let's make this all up. No, no, this, this is, it's completely rational. It's credible. It offers us the incredible account of the coming of Jesus who became a man. And it was predicted that this was going to happen hundreds of years before it ever took place. See, your faith's not based on something made up or pretend. Don't believe that. If you're tempted, somebody's getting you to question uh, your Bible. Don't, don't go there. It's not a naive superstition in, in some make-believe world that was contrived up by, by someone trying to manufacture a new religion. Your faith is backed by an overwhelming mountain of real evidence that is, it's incredible in the best sense of the word. It's amazing. It's extraordinary. What we have as evidence for the, for the New Testament, it, it, it's a mountain compared to the molehill. For everybody else, you know, we say, well, Homer in his odyssey, yeah, well, was there a guy named Homer? Really? You believe that? You believe it because you got this minuscule amount of evidence. And the New Testament's just huge. So don't be taken in. Don't be taken in by the new atheists and Christian deconstructionists and skeptics who would make you say your Bible is a contradictory fiction, that the Word of God is, is worthless. They want to shame the Word of God. They want to discredit the Word of God. And the Word of God is true. What, what, they hammer away at the foundation of your faith and they say, oh, pff, a baby born a virgin? Seriously, what do you believe in those myths and made up and make-believe and angels? You know, have you ever seen one? God came, became a man, really? You need a savior? You needed a messiah? It's all a myth. It's all a fiction for the weak-minded. You know what? Challenge them. Challenge them. Don't back down. 
What do you got? What do you got to show me that it's different? You know, you, you got your little bit of stuff. I got a mountain of, of eyewitnesses that talk about Jesus. Man, my faith is based on real fact. It ain't fiction. It is credible. And you know what? Don't give up. Don't lose hope. You can challenge these people. Because our incredible Jesus is totally credible. What did Psalm 11 say? I told you I'd get back to it, right? Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot them from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. King David wrote that. King David wrote this psalm, and he was evidently feeling as if the foundations were being pummeled. All that he invested in the Lord his God was being attacked and destroyed. He was counseled. What was he counseled? Head for the hills, buddy. Fly away. Flee like a bird. What can the righteous do? What did David say at the beginning? I take refuge in the Lord. In the Lord I take refuge. You know what? You can take refuge in, in your indescribable, incredible God. You can do that. He's on the throne. His eyes see. Ultimately, they will deal with those who reject him. But until then, you take refuge in the Lord. Stand firm on your faith. Know that it's rational. It's solid. It's believable. It's credible. And if you're confronted by any who want to destroy the foundations, you know what? Do your best to win them. Oh, don't, don't get angry. Don't turn like, like some of the, like that uh, Kania guy. Oh, I'm smarter than you. No, just, hey, ask some questions. Do your best to win them for the love of Jesus Christ. Let them know we got a sound and a rational faith. We got sound and rational and incredible answers to all the questions you got about ripping it down. You know what you can do? Say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know what that might do? That might open up a conversation. Well, uh, Christmas, you know, you believe in that Jesus manger story? Yes, I do. You know, if that elicits a response that's derogatory or negative, hey, start talking about it. Share the incredible story of Jesus because Christmas is incredible. It's incredible because our immortal God became mortal for us that we could share immortality. That he humbled himself from his supernatural state and he took on the natural world. Oh, Christmas is incredible. It's incredible because of that. And it's incredible because Jesus made the impossible possible. And you know what else Jesus did? He put a face on God. He made the invisible visible. That's our God. Incredible Jesus. The immortal became mortal, the supernatural natural, the impossible became possible, the invisible visible. And you know, we're gonna cover that through the next few weeks of Advent. Come on. 
and be encouraged about how incredible Christmas is. And, and, and get charged up so that when you say Merry Christmas to somebody and they're like, wah, wah, say Happy Holidays. You know, you can say, hey, let me talk to you about, let me talk to you about the manger and the virgin birth. You know, you might, you, you might think it's all fantasy, but share the incredible story. Because it's rich and it's beautiful, it's believable, it's totally and totally, completely credible, our incredible Jesus. So that's my encouragement to you today. Leave here to, to share that because, you know, you might just get confronted. Let, let's stand, let's pray, let's go out of here lifted. Let's take this with us and go and be encouraged. Our faith's incredible. It's totally credible, completely believable. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. You're a, you are incredible, incredible. You are extraordinary and amazing, and we love you, and we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. That's not a myth. It's not made up. You're not our sky daddy in our mind and make believe and pretend. No, you are God, the creator of the universe. We needed you. Those who would deny that they're sinners and they're not in need of Jesus, Lord, we just pray that we could be used as vessels to help turn those hearts hearts that are hard against you. God, use us. Use us to tell that incredible story of Jesus. And Lord, if there's any in here who, who may have questioned it, or maybe they've just been pummeled by someone at work, school, neighborhood, wherever, saying, you know, that you, your Bible's just made up, man. Come on over to rationalism. Think clear thoughts. God, I just pray. I pray you'd be able to help and instill your words true. And we have evidence for it that's, that's not blind faith. Yes, there are certain things we believe by faith. But we have so much, so much that we can truly rely on because you showed us. Thank you for it, God. You help us bring it to mind, God. And help us not to back away from that, but to kindly respond and open that door for some to walk through to become true followers of Jesus. God, we just put it into your hands. Bless, bless everyone here. If there's any here that, that just need that reassurance or they've never come to you, Lord, I pray those hearts would turn and, and you would receive. You'd receive genuine sincerity. Thank you, God. Thank you. In your hands, we just commit all these prayers. We ask your blessing. Bring us back to celebrate Jesus and his incredible coming. Thank you, Father. In his name, your one and only son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.